Welcome in, everybody, to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. I'm excited about today's show, and I'll tell you why. You know, we're in the middle of summer. We're at the midpoint of summer. Uh, Fourth of July is now past, the independent state for America. I have a English writer, a British writer, on uh, today's show and multimedia artist. We're going to talk a little bit today about trips. You know, uh, summer vacations are at the midpoint for us Americans, And I'll tell you, our audience is a little bit different. Our audience is at a point where, you know, you can take the traditional trip. You can go to the cabin. You can go to the lake. You can you can even go to the ocean. You could uh, you could take your typical water trip if you want. Uh, Our audience is different in that we can take a paranormal trip. You can go ghost hunting. uh, You can see an asylum. You could take an organized trip or maybe you can go off on your own and do a haunted trip. Uh, I have a little bit different idea for you. My guest today is Andy Andy Sharp. Uh, Andy has a brand new book out there called The Astral Geographic. Now, this trip can be a metaphorical one by reading this book. By the way, this book comes out in October, October 10th to be exact. Pre-orders are available right now. We have a link in the description of this program. This could be a metaphorical trip. And it's a metaphorical magic or occult trip in which you can find out the different geographical areas where the occult formed or started. And you can take that trip in your mind. Or quite literally, Andy has made this easy for you in that he gives you locations where you can go, where you can stay, where you can eat. And this is interesting in that it's kind of like a Watkins guide to the occult world. He's actually set this up for you quite nicely. We'll talk a little bit about the Astral Geographic in today's program. So interesting stuff. We'll get down to it today in the program with Andy Sharp. He's a writer and multimedia artist, as I said. Since 2003, he has worked on English Heretic, which is an autonomous creative research project that culminated in the publication of his critically acclaimed first book, The English Heretic Collection. Andy has talked at academic conferences and countercultural events on a wide range of subjects drawn from its research. Uh, he has an MSc in neuroscience from King's College. I want to welcome to the Darkness on the Edge of Town Paranormal Radio Show, Andy Sharp. Hi, Andy. How you doing? Um, great, thanks. Yeah, good to be on it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the introduction. That sums up very much what I'm about and what the book's about. Yeah, so that's good. Well, I, I appreciate you being on today. And and I had a, I had a chance to... Uh, kind of surveyed the book a little bit and I'm impressed with how you've put this together. And, you know, I want to, I want to talk a little bit first about trepidation because I do have a section of my audience and I'm I'm just, you know, kind of truth in advertising here. Um, I do have a section of my audience that might be a little trepidatious about picking up a book that would deal with the darker side of the occult, maybe even Satanism at times. And, And again, truth in advertising, there is, a little bit of this book that does deal with Satanism right off the bat. I mean, we start off the book right off the bat with Satanism and and the origins of Satanism. But I'll tell you this, the reason why I'm never afraid to tackle this subject or the darker side of the occult is I believe in a well-rounded education in all sides of the supernatural, the paranormal. And that is because if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you've go, you're going, so to speak. Um, address with me, if you will, the, I guess you could say the, the inspiration for the book and, and what, what you were trying to do with this book in writing the book in its origins and including places. And what, what was your thinking in putting this book together? Okay. Yeah. So, um, um, I've written a lot about counterculture and um, uh, counterculture and geography and uh, what we call, I think, in the UK is known as occulture, the culture of the occult. Okay. You know? So if you think about things like, it's not necessarily the practice of magic, but it's the kind of things associated with it. So a good example might be, um, the films of Kenneth Anger or something like that, you know. Sure. Uh, so where it touches, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. when they got involved and and all that kind of stuff, you know, where it feeds into so a culture is a kind of pop culture and uh, magic and things like that. So I've written about that for a, for a, 
for a long time, and uh, um, and I've uh, you know had a, a personal interest in, in, in esotericism for, for for many many years. You know, looking at uh, probably 35, 35 years. Um, so um, the idea of the book was to tell the story of various strains of what you call magical practice by mm-hmm. uh, their connection with geography okay. so we so so the uh, throughout the book i'm looking at um places where i can tell a particular evolution of a particular type of magic or practice um but intimately tied in with buildings locations of deposits of archaeological um uh, goods that related to a particular practice so you could tell the story um uh houses that are, uh, that are maybe being um you know nexuses for particular groups and things like that so um so it's a strong so nailing down i want to tell the story of magic and it's a wide wide story and i want to tell discrete forms of you know practice and i thought well let's do this through geography um, but we do it two ways. So we can either look at a practice or we can look at a geography and its relation to to to, to magic. So I do the book is split it's it's sort of half and half, ten chapters. So there'll be chapters on how do I tell the story of witchcraft? How do I tell the story of um uh the Indian practice of Tantra? Mm-hmm. Um but the also the and the other thing is like uh how how uh, wh- how have gardens been used in a in a magical context? How have deserts been used in a magical context? What's the magic that comes out of a desert? So I split it in two ways. There's half and half. How to tell the story of Atlantis? You know, right. through through various eruptions of the myth. Um, so so split half and half. It's not it's not a hard thing, but I just just to give it a bit of variety. So so as you say, it is a travel guide, and I've visited. Uh, a lot of the places over 20 years so i've brought in places i visited did specific over the last four four years quite a lot of uh, traveling in order to get uh, uh, to actually physically uh, visit these venues and um uh and as you say there's also it's kind of there's elements there's maps in it um and there's postcards um and there's also uh, sort of on point places to stay, so symbolic hotels that might, you know, might aid in terms of creating the atmosphere you visit. So I don't just say, oh, if you're off that place where, you know, I don't know, there was visit the Hilton Hotel, the, the, all the hotels, <laughs> right. all the places to stay, places to eat are kind of symbolic events. So, you, so in the other words, you can make it into this kind of, um, I don't know, symbolic adventure, really. The, the, the idea is that, that, everything is it, it, it there's meaning in everything these are these are dots that are connected so i hope that as so each of the chapters are split up into um uh an itinerary so there'll, there'll be a map and there'll be a physical itinerary of places to explore and i pick out the key points and and, and then in the deep in, in an essay part I, I pull out like an archaeologist oh this this thing we found here how does this explain this magical practice so it's got a very it's got a very uh fixed structure and a, and a and a strong so travel guides you know typically you would like oh you know if you're thinking about uh a, you know one lonely planet or whatever the ones you have in, in the states rough guides we have mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't have it is not a themed holiday in there but this is themed holidays think about that so sure. the concept but the theme carries throughout chapter into a deeper discussion so to give people an idea uh i'll give i'll go right back to the theme we started off with uh, talking about satanism and, and talking about just the darker part of the occult you do a wonderful job in the first part of the the first route in the book. You go by routes, and the first route is Satan's places, and you talk about different areas in Europe, and and, and even going to Tunisia and Egypt, and you you put out a map of different places that are basically the birthplaces of these darker places of the occult. One of the places you mentioned is the Hellfire Club, both in England and in in Ireland, 
And it's not just a place that was mentioned in, in Stranger Things, folks. Uh, that's that's uh, and although there are a lot of T-shirts that were sold, um, the Hellfire Club wasn't just something on Stranger Things. One of the things I, I liked about it is is you mentioned uh, George and Vulture in in London. Oh yeah, and then you you also recommended it as a place to eat. Um, it is, yeah, and it was the first meeting place. Most people associate. Um, uh, Sir Francis Dashwood's Hellfire Club um, with um, uh, West Wickham, which is um, west of London, where the, 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 there is like a showcase down there and you can visit there. But I, I kind of just wanted to avoid that because uh, I wanted to do something. Everybody knows about the Hellfire Caves, and it, I think it's great, you know, but I yeah. wanted to do a slightly different angle. So, in actual fact, the Georgian Vulture is where they first met. Mm-hmm. So Sir Francis Dashwood's. Uh, Hellfire Club then moved to West Wickham. I thought, yeah, let's let's find out where they first met. And yeah, it is an eatery, and there is, but there's a kind of a whole strange kind of dark mythology about um, uh, them having to uh, roast a servant and things like that. So and this this kind of like legend sort of um, then migrates to the Irish Hellfire Clubs that have. A similar story and things like that so so in the book i'm in a lot of places i'm looking at the way that the the, the myth migrates uh, so in the chapter on um satanism i start off in a uh, place called mendy's mm-hmm. uh, which is where uh um the this egyptian society venerated a ram and um it birthed the idea of the goat of mendes so the goat of mendes that became the baphomet of the templars mm-hmm. you know derives from from egypt so i'm looking at that you know that image the image that right that, that we all know from you know the devil rides out and all these films and um heavy metal album covers you know and looking at the the kind of roots of it in in uh, in Egyptian mythology and things like that, so 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 this this is where the you know the, as I say what what I'm kind of doing is um, going to each of these places and then excavating symbols you know the, the symbol of the coast of Mendes and see the, how the, that then travels through Europe and into kind of California where Anton LaVey sort of had his Church of Satan in the sixties. So in the end, I go to California and look at um, uh, Anton LaVey's Black House and uh, a, an amazing house called Will- William Westerfield House. Yeah, um, and it, tell me a little bit about the Westerfield House. Um, it, it, and yeah, I, I find it interesting the, the 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 compare and contrast between Anton LaVey's Black House and the Westerfield House. You describe the Black House at the end as it begins to break down a little bit as a as kind of a a bit of a shack and then compared I think it to always the, was basically right right <laughs> you know um so levey i think you know i kind of look at, i mean i as uh, i am looking at satan but i'm looking at it with a, a skeptical eye and i think you know you, you, um and um because obviously there's this there's bits of magic that i and occultism I'm very interested in and have a huge amount of respect for, for, for instance, Tantra and, and, and um, some of the kind of vulva witchcraft and things like that. And other things I treat, you know, as, as, yeah, why would you want to do that in particular? You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, um, uh, so, but LaVey is an interesting character because, you know, when I was growing up, he was seen as this kind of very, very, um, kind of a mysterious person but actually in fact when i started digging into his uh this famous black house that he had that he had painted black and i just realized it was just like a it was a con it was like a, a shotgun shack that he painted black and and managed to take all the photos from a really low angle so it looks really massive and things like that and yeah. uh yeah. and it's but it, 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 it what's interesting is that the uh it was it was Subsequently um, demolished after LeVay died, and they have uh, um, taken the address off the uh, the map in in San Francisco because it's now this place that we don't want to speak about. So, so I it, but I was looking at contrasting this kind of little pokey shack that 
that Anton LaVey had with this William Westerfield house, which is actually an amazing house. It looks like something from the Adams family. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful sort of Victorian Gothic. I love the Victoria, American Victorian Gothic. It's incredible. Yeah. And the colours that they paint it with and these kind of turrets and things like that. It's absolutely beautiful building um, that was um, designed in the late 1900s. Um, but interesting enough LeVay liked to hang out there more than his place because it was like a lot cooler you know and, yeah uh, yeah um, apparently you can see uh, the scratches of his lion that he used to have on the skirting boards at this place but it was it was a very interesting melting point William Westerfield house so in the in the early part of the um it was kind of a uh I think it was a a, a nightclub there and um, Russian um uh emigres uh owned it for a while and then um in the 60s kenneth anger who mm-hmm. who was a, a a filmmaker magical filmmaker involved with the rolling stones he he lived there with a guy called bobby Beausoleil, who ended up with the mansons uh, and manson visited this place so this is a kind of real i felt it was like a real kind of powerful hub a, a, you know like a, a center yeah 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 and, and a kind of melting pot for this kind of like quite um you know dramatic time and i and i kind of think you know that it's a kind of you know if you think about the late 60s in 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 california it's kind of biblical and i look at, in this particular chapter i am looking what's interesting in this book is that i do although it's a book about occultism a lot of the, the mythology comes from you know biblical sources from uh classical greek sources and things like that and more you dig into occultism more you find that that uh, it isn't a thing in itself it is a it is it is intimately tied in with you know various mythologies you know that we see again and again comparative religion i've always been interested really in magic as a a form of comparative religion really rather Mm -hmm. than uh, you know this uniquely powerful thing that exists and is real it, it you know it's 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 really it's intimately tied in with religion um but i also I, I think when i look at um in in the chapter on william westfield house and satanism I, you know it's a classical uh, case of like the garden of eden being kind of corrupted by this serpent which is like manson in the 60s you know when you look at it in that stark terms you can see this kind of mythic play being played out there you know that they mm-hmm. have this summer of love and then suddenly this serpent comes in with this forbidden fruit of LSD, and then you know then this kind of interesting yeah. sort of that's, um, that's parables that come out of that that's a very interesting analogy a, a very interesting way you put that because it is when manson comes in that everything that you know the worm begins to turn so to speak yeah that, yeah yeah that yeah. innocence is lost and and you know you bring up another interesting point too with kenneth anger there's there's also that uh is it altamont where the the uh absolutely yeah where yeah. you've got the rolling stones playing in the hell's angels providing security uh, there's the stabbing there at Altamont. Yeah, uh, that yeah. that began a whole nother deal as well. Uh, well, you know, um, uh, anger, you know, maintains that he cursed the stones, didn't he? Um, yeah, and that, uh, yeah. That, that this was this was a result of this curse. And and then the really interesting thing about William Westerfield House is that anger filmed um, inauguration of my demon brother there, mm-hmm. which which um, is kind of his. His, his, I think it's his most magical kind of like playing with magic in film. And there's, 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 there's some interesting cut-ins in that, in that, um, film. So there's ceremonies in, that are taking place in William Westfield House. And you see Antel LaVey coming out with a skull and doing this kind of fake voodoo stuff. And you later you see, um, uh, a ceremony downstairs with, um, Bobby Beausoleil. But both scenes cut to, the, the, the scenes cut then to the Rolling Stones, and I think that's interesting. You know, he's sort of is he cutting up reality here in a Burroughsian sense, and 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 creating this curse through this film and things like that, inadvertently or not so inadvertently. So yeah, yeah. that's why this place is such a powerful, yeah. um, you know, place to think about these things. To think about. Um, Let me ask you a question, Andy. Do you feel like 
So many years later, you know, in, in the year 2023, even though we can say LeVay's shack, if you will, the black shack, if you want to put it that way, or even the Westerfield house, do you feel that those houses maintain that energy or does it dissipate to the wind even so um, many, so many years later? I, I, I tend to think that, yeah, these things um, maintain it. I absolutely do. You know, I do uh, um, think that, um, uh, yeah, there's a you know if you think about it, um, I, you know we project we project our fears into reality and in a place that has has things going on and an and activity that's consciously trying to trying to stir up feelings or or uh, well, it is going to be a, a magnet for it you know and I think um, you know I think yeah I do think. I think yeah, I always think uh, there's a there's a, um, a British occultist artist called Austin Spare who kind of said life is haunted, and I think I think that's a that's 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 my that's my feeling about it is that you know if you if you feel life in a certain way, then it's, it, there isn't really a, um, a a split between the paranormal and and and, and the non-paranormal. I think it's a it's 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 a continuum and and it's a way of thinking. So um, increasingly, towards towards the end of the book, um, I started thinking about um, magical consciousness. And there's a very good book called Magical Consciousness by um, Susan Greenwood, an anthropologist, and uh, and and it argues a case for a different way of experiencing consciousness through associative thinking rather than um, logical thinking. And and that's essentially the difference between magical thinking and kind of reductive scientific thinking. Yeah. It's, it's a different mode of, uh, different mode of, of, of experiencing reality. And so uh, her argument, and I agree, is that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. So once you sort of accept that you, you can switch to magical consciousness. You can decide why right, I'm gonna, and I think this is what magic, ritual magic is. It's it's about a conscious decision to say, actually, I know that that reality, I know that there is such thing as logic and reductive thinking, but actually today I'm not going to do that. I'm going to experience reality in a different way. And and Susan Greenwood in her book was kind of saying, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Westerners going to kind of shamanic societies or something like that mm -hmm. you know we traditionally kind of quite patronizing in the sense that they go well you know that that's magical thinking and they go yeah of course we know it's magical thinking it's just we choose to do it you know yeah. they know well about logic you know and, and and reductive thinking is but actually we quite enjoy this mode of thinking or we like the opportunity to do it and uh, there's a term called decentering. um uh, a guy called Patrick Mark McNamara is a neuroscientist talks about it and uh, and has done a fair amount of work into nightmares and things like that and, mm -hmm. and why we haven't um, evolved you know genetically evolved from nightmares and he argues that there's a shamanic purpose to nightmares and things like that and he come he has this concept of decentric which is essentially saying we have this kind of cognitive centers in our brain that um, uh, that override everything. Okay. And 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 they're kind of a, a loop in the brain, but um, uh, you can drugs or um, trance or whatever dance or ecstatic dancing are all ways of uh, breaking that loop, and so you go into a different way of thinking. Called and he calls that decentering, and his argument that you know conscious decentering, uh, monitored and and. Uh, you know, and you you got guides and people to guide you through it, and then coming back is actually creates a stronger sense of self and sense of identity, things like that. So my argument is that is life is you know a place you can choose to 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 switch off from a place being haunted, or you can choose to think I'm going to run with this and see how this affects your reality and you know mystery, you invite mystery into your life and things like that. I think this is you know why people like ghost hunting and mm -hmm. you know it invites a different uh, a level of uncertainty into reality right. which i think we need you know yeah 
Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. You know, I, we lost Kenneth Anger recently, and it, it, it got me thinking, and I want to throw this past you, Andy, and, and, and with this question, after this question, we'll take our break. Um, when, the, you know, magical thinking involves active thinking. It involves, and, and, and the active magic involves an active body, an active brain, an active spirit. Um, what happens when the when the active magician passes away? Does that active magic then stop? Uh, do you believe that that magic carries on? That that uh, the work that that person has done carries on? Does it have a, a cumulative effect, or does it stop? I think it carries on. I think uh, you certainly look at um, people like. As I mentioned, Austin Spear and his influence on a whole generation of musicians and writers and things like that. And people could, you know, were certainly certainly still feel a rapport with his person, more so because he died in relative obscurity. So I think he's a great case of someone who, who you know, he was very interested in avatars and um, kind of his, you know, his kind of ancestral kind of worship. And I think, I think, I think someone like that, because they died in obscurity, is actually more alive now than they were in reality. You know, they were, you know, to, to other than, other than, you know, a select bunch of people. I think that, and that's, that's very much promulgated not by the physical presence, but by their output, you know. So the, mm -hmm. these kind of, his, his drawings are very, are very uncanny and very unearthly and, and, um, uh, but he was also a very beautiful, very talented draftsman. And so he was able to um, draw this very precise, uncanny. And I think, I think they, the, you know, that essence is, is still very, very much there with a particular, and I think with anger, it will be as well. You know, I think, um, um, as I said, you can pick apart his stuff, and and anger had a, a you know a, I can't remember I have to paraphrase it, but he goes, um, uh, when you're living life magically, then patterns happen uh, throughout your life, and and he, you know, and if you look at his his uh, magic lantern cycle, cycle, you can see patterns throughout these films, and and um, uh, and that's to a certain degree what I was trying to do with the book was was to was to show you know, um, create some symbols, you know, and show how symbols can can create a language and, and 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 you don't necessarily even have to kind of debunk those symbols, you can then move through the symbols. So mm -hmm. so alchemy uh, the, the hermeticism I the alch the, the section on alchemy I wrote was about a guy called Fulcanelli who was a um, an alchemist in France. Uh, well, kind of mysterious figure. Let's talk about Falconelli okay. after the break. Let's let's take our break real That's quick. Right, yeah. When we come back, we'll talk about Falconelli. We'll talk about alchemy, and we'll talk about his use of architecture in in yeah, that. Right. And because it's very interesting, some of the architecture he uses is is uh, let's just say tied to the church, and it's it's very interesting in in that absolutely yeah uh, yeah in in, yeah, in that it yeah. may surprise our audience as to as to what he used. And and how it's used, and and some of the symbolism that's in some of these cathedrals that that people may go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you get this out of that? So we'll talk about that when we come back. Yeah, absolutely, it's a great example. Yeah. Yes, our our guest is Andy Andy Sharp. Um, the book is uh, available in October. You can pre-order it right now on, on Amazon. Uh, we actually have a link in the description of this program. The book is called The Astral Geographic, The Watkins Guide to the Occult World. Andy Sharp is our guest. He is the author and a researcher on this project. So when we come back, we'll talk about Falconelli. We'll talk about uh, the way he got alchemy from these different uh, places, these different cathedrals. It's quite exciting, folks. When we come back, more on alchemy and Falconelli. When we return on the best in paranormal podcasting, this is Darkness Radio.
Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I am Tim Dennis, your host. Our guest is Andy Sharp. The book is The Astral Geographic, The Watkins Guide uh, to the Occult World. And Andy is the author, and uh, he's our guide on this, The the Astral Geographic. And uh, again, Andy, I commend you for, for tying these geographic places to... Uh, different areas of the occult world and explaining different areas of the occult through the, the, the geographic uh, areas and also uh, different areas of the occult through that. I, I might be mincing my words here a little bit, but also giving us areas where we can stay, places where we can eat. If we want to see these areas for ourselves, which, which you know, a lot of people, sometimes they have to get on the ground, they have to see, touch, feel, uh, experience for themselves. But even if you don't have the funds to go out there and see some of this stuff and see history for for yourself, you can jump into the book. And even if you're a skeptic, uh, you can you can read these stories and this history for itself. There's plenty of history in this book. It's not something where you know you 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 have to buy into the story. I guess you could say. Uh, or if it's something where you are more of an occult believer, it's something that is more of an enriching history for you. Um, let's talk about Falconelli and Alchemy. Okay. Yeah. I found this, uh, the way you've tied things together with Falconelli and Alchemy, very interesting in that, and, and tell us why you used Falconelli first of all, because, you know, we were talking off air, it was very interesting why you used Falconelli and not another alchemist in, in your story. And it had to do with geography in different points in particular. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Falconelli uh, was around in the early part of this century. And uh, there's some, he's a kind of mysterious figure that, that might be a fabrication of two other, uh, an artist called Jean Julien Champagne and Eugene Tanselet was a, an occultist. And uh, this character, Falconelli, um, wrote a book called The Mystery of the Cathedrals uh, and then um, disappeared. And there's a whole kind of mythology about his disappearance that he was a nuclear physicist and, and that um, uh, the alchemists have been aware of the dangers of splitting the atom and uh, they'd known the, sen- the secret uh, and, and and what would happen if we split the atom. And and, and he kind of reappears in, in various tellings 20 years later. Uh, um, and uh, a, a fascinating kind of cultural uh, character. Um, but his, he... he I'll just go into a bit of kind of um, culture here. So he the, 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 he was a kind of what we would call a proto-situationist. So the situationists were um, um, kind of radical political movement that started in France uh, in the early sixties, and they were kind of, they developed this idea called psychogeography, where you would um, sort of reclaim urban spaces through imaginative. Um, play with them and things like that. And natural fact, Falconelli was doing this 60, 70 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is that Eugene Kanslayer is actually a friend of one of the uh, people uh, who who devised situationism. So there's a kind of whole link in the French culture about that. But Falconelli, uh treatise called um, Missy Cathedrals suggests that uh, Notre Dame Cathedral is essentially um, a uh, the carvings on outside the building, or a, a bunch of plaques outside the, on the on the arch outside the the, the main do- door, were actually um, devised by uh, stonemasons who are alchemists, and they were divulging the alchem- alchemical um, process through these. Uh, these sculptures or these these plaques so he 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 looks at whatever 11 12 of these plaques and 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 sh- shows the alchemical process operating through that um but as you said before the break um uh it goes further than that because he he uh, w- what what essentially al uh is doing as well by looking at these cathedrals is looking is 
is um, viewing, it's a form of Christian alchemy. So he looks at kind of uh, the process, you know, Christ in the manger and things like that as alchemical metaphors, uh, uh, metaphors, the alchemical process. So he kind of says, actually, the Bible was really an encoding uh, alchemical text and things like that. So, so... So it's absolutely fascinating. So you know, it's some some. So he goes out. So, so first book, or this book called uh, Mystery Cathedral centers on Notre Dame Cathedral, and he and he kind of um, explains how they were encoding a lot of kind of pagan practice in the church, hiding it, and and there were a lot of pagan rituals, uh, and this kind of whole melting pot, really. Um, the, the the church in the medieval the cathedral of medieval was actually this really kind of wild melting pot, not this kind of what we perceive as a staid mm-hmm. um, conservative uh, institution. And the second book called The Dwelling of Philosophers, he goes to various other places, and there's this uh, um, amazing place called Borges in in outside sort of south of. France and he goes to this this place and he kind of just looks at his kitchen and goes, "Oh, this kitchen in this hotel is or this this house is not, not really a kitchen; it's an alch- alchemist laboratory." So he kind of makes all these metaphors between um, the cooking process and he looks at kind of epiphany cakes and all this kind of Christian symbolism and and shows how it is actually it is what is doing uh, encoding the alchemical process so it's beautiful it's amazing it's kind of very trippy mm-hmm. um the guy who uh uh Canelli, so one of the theories that with Fulcanelli that he was you know he 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 was hallucinating because of um the amount of absinthe he drank but in actual fact it seems that he was actually uh, a stoner really so he he um, so he discusses this thing called the green language, um, or Langevert, which is a kind of twilight language or a language of homophones. And so within this book about Christian alchemy, there's all this ma- incredible wordplay and punning and things like that. Um, and uh, and there's also a lo- quite a lot of illusions that would suggest that, um, it, it, that, that he was actually... Uh, some of these visions and some of these ideas were coming from uh, cannabis, take, uh, you know, using cannabis and things like that. Really? Fascinating guy. So it's kind of, again, he's like like William Westerfield House. It's not just, it's why I'm drawn to him is he's this cultural kind of melting pot, if you like, for, for lots of incredibly fun ideas, really, and incredibly um, wild ideas. And, uh, uh, but also, on a kind of more prosaic level, he's, you don't have to go to Notre Dame Cathedral to kind of look at your reality as a projection of, of a kind of hermetic process. You know, you can, you know, you can go in, in London, certainly in England, you can walk down the street and the pub signs and things like that. And the names of places and things like that are loaded with kind of historical and toponomic meaning and things like that and he looks at heraldry as as a a form of kind of alchemical language as well so um uh yeah so that's that's my real interest in him as this he's an excellent example of someone using your geography literally as a magical tool what you see in reality buildings these are all things that offer magical signposts and clues and and, and puzzles and things like that. So, so that's why I chose him over, say, John D. Or, or you know, um, as we're saying, talking in in before, just before going live. I mean, most people think in Europe, oh, the the the, the hub of alchemy would be Prague. But okay, Prague was a place where people practiced alchemy. But right. What I'm looking at the book is is you could go to Prague and you wouldn't learn about alchemy. Uh, you, but what what you do from visiting these places that, Al, uh, that Phil Canelli talked about, you'll actually kind of see symbols and and, and 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 sculptures that tell you about the alchemical process. So this is the kind of thinking of the book is that uh, it's always the geography that counts. It's not the place. So, for instance, like. I don't. I don't talk about voodoo um, mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't really think of a way of 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 
just looking at the geography. I'm sure someone could, but I'm always conscious of, of the geography in the book. Before we get to, to that, I want to I want to draw a parallel, if I can, here, Andy. Um, when we talk about Falconelli, and and you know, the, there's there's some wonderful examples. Again, we want people to to order that book, pre-order that book, which is coming out in October, uh, the Astral Geographic. Um, Falconelli looked at things like the Cathedral of St. Peter and, and St. Paul and, and saw al- alchemical uh, parallels when looking at the faces of, of both. Um, things, symbols, and things that, on the modern-day level, we're now seeing, uh, guys like Scott Walter are seeing, you know, things like, symbols like the hook decks and seeing things like when he sees a cathedral he sees and you were mentioning seeing pagan uh things in the church that they were co-opting i guess is a good way of putting it co-opting and using in the uh catholic religion um and and scott is now taking that stuff and putting it on television and saying hey listen it, we've always been taking things from other religions and bringing them into ours. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, we need to start realizing this, that this symbolatry has always been going on. We've always been taking yeah, this maybe, stuff yeah, and, yeah, and bringing yeah. it in. And we've always been borrowing from one or another. And these symbols have always been here. And here's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, I, but our cultures and these think about the fact that, you know, by the other token, you know, um, there is my argument. There isn't this pure tradition. There's nothing it's such a thing as an occult truth. It's this kind of bricolage. It's a, you know, it's it's bits of anthropology. It's an archaeological finding. It's it's as you say, it's borrowing symbols. It's rereading. It's reading, you know, the Bible in a different way. You know, and 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 that sort of thing is that that, that I'm I, I'm conscious in this book that I don't want. You know, I don't want to say that there's an occult truth because I don't think there is. There isn't, and I think there's a lot of dangers in saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, mm-hmm. it reads to kind of a whole bunch of a whole bunch of problems like, like racial purity and stuff like that. If you start to think that there's an occult truth to reality, and so I, so I tackle different difficult areas like Atlantis. You know, that's that's riddled with kind of difficulties and things like that. But always looking at the fact that it is this movement and this melting pot and this bricolage really. And I think that's where, where it's, where it's where it's inclusive, and it's also where it's enjoyable, and it's also where it, it's you know it's fun to do. You know, it becomes this fun thing rather than this this kind of heavy, you know, search for power, mm-hmm. like the source of power. You know, I think that's 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 not what magic is to me. It's 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 it's, it's an enchantment of reality. You're, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Andy. You're, you're starting to talk about voodoo, and, and what was it about voodoo you wanted to bring up? Well, I, I just didn't have the. I mean, it, it, I'm restricted by ten chapters. There were ten, ten journeys in the book, so I, I mean, I, I was conscious, I was interested in voodoo, but um, just in my research, I couldn't think of a way of other than saying, "Oh, let's go to New Orleans and things like that." And I think there's problems with that anyway, you know, like mm-hmm. this sort of cultural tourism and things like that, you know. So I've been conscious of like not wanting the book to be about uh, sort of cult- cultural tourism. So yeah, you know, so so that's where you know I think I, I have a huge amount of respect for it. And I'm interested in it, but I, I couldn't think of a way of telling the story through geography. I know this is an example. I'm sure someone could. Sure, but there, there was there's certain. In a, in a book of 10 chapters, there's going to be a mission of the, of the whole story. And and that's just an example. As I say, and in the case of alchemy, of like not talking about Prague, where there were a lot of people practicing alchemy because it didn't feel like um, I could, it, it, you weren't you weren't telling the story through geography. You were telling the story through a place where magic was, it took place. Right. So again, rather than a, a place that had, you know, had like, findings or you know so i look at um you know where curses have been deposited you know so that you know go to a place where curse if they found curses in a well in in cyprus or something like that that tells you about we learn about the place and the practice mm-hmm. in that way mm-hmm. so that's a kind of um slight difference right 
I want I want to swing around. You you'd mentioned Atlantis, and I want to I want to swing around to Atlantis and talk about Atlantis. You know, uh, when we when we talk about Atlantis and in, in the general, I guess you could say location of Atlantis, um, and where we imagine it to be. You you have a map of of where you believe Atlantis is, and and. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think it's a map of where I think it is. I think it's a map of where where the myth of Atlantis has drifted. There you go, so where it's that's drifted. Kind of what I'm looking at. Okay. Um, so my, I mean, my feeling, you know, my, I think, it, you know, my personal opinion is that it's historical. Um, it, again, it comes from, as I said, I think so many of the sources of uh, of, of magic come from, um, you know, classical, uh, your Greek classical thinking and things like that you know okay. in in the western view you know not necessarily in, in other religions, not in tantra for instance but um you know so you've got um uh a, an island called thera where um um yeah where basically a myth of atlantis was written about in greek classicism and i, I think that's you know it's a good argument for it um but uh i kind of I went and looked at a, a particular strain of of kind of Atlantis, and that's what I call Celtic Atlantis. So the the, the myth of the kind of interrelated myth moving from Brittany and France to um, Cornwall and Ireland, and and if you think about it, there's a good there's a good reason for it because those lands were joined. So you, you know, if you think about the the, the lands splitting apart then the mythology splits apart but is related um so it's just an example so i'd classic i i i use partly to avoid the kind of contentious stuff about atlantis you know the kind of you know the nazis hunting for atlantis and i think i Mm -hmm. want to avoid that i don't you know it's it's i I mention it because it's you know it needs to be mentioned but i think I think you know this idea of like um, you know searching for a, a spiritually evolved race is 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 not what I believe in, and I don't think that's part of the uh, of, of the enchantment reality. Is part of like saying we're a, we're a more evolved person than you, and and so I you know I, I deliberately concentrate on on showing Atlantis as a as a um, a shift in mythic. Uh, mythic drift i call it but also there's another part of the thing where i look at various writers so i look at uh dion fortune who wrote a great book called the uh, sea priestess mm-hmm. um and look at how she used geography to create this vision of uh, atlantis and i look at um uh a welsh writer called arthur macken who who was inspired by a place uh, a, a temple to um a Celtic sea god called Nodens, and that inspired some of his books. And then look at how that influenced H.P. Lovecraft's mythos. So, again, it, I'm looking at fictional mythic, mythic drift and uh, kind of uh, folklore mythic drift. So that's kind of the way I've approached Atlantis. I mean, it, people will have a different take on it and things like that. But that was, that, as I say, it's partly just to 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 you know, uh, to, to 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 look at it with fresh eyes, reimagine it. You know, and and, and in, a, in a in a in a sense, in a positive light. You know, as well. Right. So. Uh, let me let me ask you, Andy. I know you're you're dancing around the the supernatural part of Atlantis a little bit here. Why is that? Why why not tackle that full on? Um. Because what like what uh, the sort of visions of Edgar Gase and things like that? Yeah, because, yeah. Because I think I, uh, I think that belongs to a time, but I think there's, I think my problem with that is that it was sequestered by, um, you know, uh, uh, the Nazis really, and okay. you know that sort of, and I think you know that that we can't really. In a in a you know in a progressive society we can't really go back. It, it you know the, the the you know Madame Blavatsky's theosophy was interesting at the time, but we need to progress beyond that, really. You know, and I think magic needs to progress. It can't. It, it, it you can't. 
you can't just say, well, oh, just because Madame Blavatsky thought and she was a great magician, we must keep this going. You've got to, you, there's got to be a certain critique of things that, that went sour, I think, yeah. to a certain degree. And I, and I, and I, and I think with Atlantis, we, there are, there are more positive ways of looking at it and different aspects of, of looking at it. And I don't, I don't critique it, but I, I'm sort of, I, the book isn't about, um, like being overly skeptical it's just um things that are more enchanted a more enchanted version of reality rather than a kind of one that may be tainted by politics so yeah. Under, understandably do you think there's and just this is just kind of the last question about atlantis so with that we leave a little bit of meat on the bone for the book um do you think that there's a bit of a fallacy to anything beyond just the actual landmass of Atlantis sinking? Do you think that maybe it's blown a little out of proportion as far as Atlantis goes? Um, as well, far I, as I'm, the technology my, my being my feeling, feeling is, is, is that, um, you know, uh, I think that the subconscious is the best magician, you know, and I think like, um, uh, yeah. So I look at I look at um, things like um, uh, as I mentioned these uh, sleep laboratory sleep temples that were set up um, that that um, and then in people's dreams Nodens this god of the deep would come and heal them and I think this is more interesting in terms of where real magic resides it ri- resides when things run autonomously in in the subconscious mind so throughout the book i bring in dreams as a central point of of kind of this is where we need to look at magic because because um you see this again and again in 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 the the, the, the greek um and roman accounts of necromancy is that basic necromancy wasn't people with a skull calling up the dead it was it was ancestors coming to people in their dreams Mm -hmm. things like that you know Mm -hmm. so this idea uh of of like dream divination and 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 magic being practiced in dreams i think is kind of where i'm looking at okay you know so so tolkien for instance was um he was haunted by his atlantean complex so he was haunted by dreams of a deluge and things like that so he ended up writing stories about it and it turned out his his son had had the same dream so rather i'm not looking for a um i don't think there's a literal truth behind that but i think i think the the, the power of subconscious um to, to 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 investigate dream terrains and things like that is a big part of the book so yeah okay uh i think finally today let's talk about what kind of magic you can actually have in a desert and let's talk a little bit about alistair crowley to 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 close things out today um you know a desert is literally and figuratively a barren place andy what how how do you manifest magic in a desert well i think again i think i mean crowley's often and rightly he's seen as a, a showman and uh, and a um quite an objectionable person but um he did a particular um set of workings based on um on some magic that was uh conducted by john d and uh, edward kelly and he took this uh, they're essentially calling these uh angelic spirits enochian spirits and there are 30 of them and you go from the 30 down to one and they and they uh you look into a shoe stone and and uh, read these enochian words and then you have conversation with these angels so so d and uh, kelly had uh had done this in um i think it was in mortlake but probably was on a holiday with his uh at the time his lover this guy called victor neuberg and uh, they were on a walking holiday in Algeria, and he suddenly got this vision to 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 recommence these Enochian workings, but in the desert. Um, he previously tried it in Mexico, and, and the, the visions had sort of balked. And uh, so they walked through the desert um, over uh, three or four weeks, um, uh, invoking these different angels and. Uh, and I think it's an amazing bit of magic that that 
um, that t takes one system and puts it in another place and creates something new. So he's taken this Enochian system mm -hmm. and he's stuck it in the desert and he's created this huge, this this amazing hybrid magic. Um, and so the, the, they famously or infamously uh, conjured this demon called Corinzon in the, or it, during the working of the calling of the tenth ether and had this amazing magical battle with this this demon. Um, and it, uh, this particular workings had a huge cultural reach. So I look at the cultural reach of this, um, but also it's kind of antecedents in in kind of desert um, desert shapeshifters and stuff like that, like ghouls and Dijin and things like that. But the interesting thing about the formless place is that I, I, uh, the, the, this demon is called the demon dispersion, and it, it kind of um, on the uh, a Kabbalistic tree of life, it, it kind of inhabits or it guards this what's called a false sephira, okay. um, this called abyss. And in order to, in order to uh, cross this abyss, you have to encounter Corinzon and then do battle with him. But there's a whole interesting um, idea about this kind of um, the the, the ab the, the, this kind of like this demon being a shapeshifter and being an illusion itself, you know, and reality being an illusion and the perfect place for mirage is an illusion where reality becomes quite elusive is a desert because there oh, is sure. no form. Yeah. So I think the, the, it's a very, I mean, whether he, I think, you know, Crow is an intelligent guy, but I, um, I think it was just intuition that led him to do this in the desert rather than the, the conceptualized, but the, the kind of, the whole kind of rationale and the, the kind of metaphysical sort of um, discussion that comes out of, uh, of of the whole concept of like what is a demon and what is what is desire and, and, and the illusory nature nature of all these kind of things is very very fits very well with the desert and obviously you've got like I said you know I look at um, the tradition of um, uh, uh, shapeshifting ghouls and Dijin in the desert that were there to, to, to do exactly this is it they were like they would jump out on people and and, and and change form and sometimes do this as a way of essentially driving people mad you know it, it, right. and then that's to do with isolation and formlessness and fear and things like that so so yeah the desert is very you know it's 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 proven to be a, a very powerful place to to look at the illusionary nature of reality and you know what is magic itself, you know, if In, not. Indeed, yeah. And it was the Sahara Desert outside of Algeria. And and again, the entire tale is is in the book. And then there's a cult of that demon outside of Scotland. Is that the deal? Is this Scotland, isn't it? Uh, I, I think so. I, I, because you list a place where people can, can actually stay. Is it Scotland? I believe it's Scotland. Uh, it is the old school house in oh no that's 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 another chapter that's all that's, that's another really, chapter okay sorry. yeah that's sorry. With, uh okay. wicker man but the, oh, there was a cult that's, for, there that's was regarding a cult. the sinister stones i'm sorry yeah i'm, I'm yeah but ahead. you are right there was a cult of there was a corinzon club that was set up by crowley and another couple of old occultists in um in chicago and uh i think it's still going yeah there's a there's an occultist michael Bertio very very interesting guy very strange guy who really who who um but the whole cult of corinzon has gone through chaos magic and things like that um but I also look at william burroughs city as a red knight and and its relation to to the, the, how closely it ties with some of the ideas of 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 um crowley's desert working and so on. that's crazy I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Castle Kennedy Gardens. Uh, Castle Kennedy oh, Gardens. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, when yeah, that's 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 another chapter on um, megaliths. So I look at megaliths. That's and, right. That's right. Megaliths in uh, in fiction and why why we like to go to megaliths and think they're healing places and why do writers find them so sinister and fiction writers why they always like you know places of bloodletting. I'm just interested in that dichotomy between our kind of like in a secular society where we see them as like you know, nice places, whereas like Arthur Mack and 
<laughs> Nigel Neal, all these writers, they see these places as some sort of sinister sort of um, see, folklore. There's, of there's all abduction. kinds of interesting things in this book, Andy. I mean, there's you've you've uh, you've dug up all these things that. I, I, and I'll be honest with you, there, there's there's things in here that for a majority of people are scary to, to look into, but at the same time, they're fascinating. You know, it's, it's yeah, fascinating stuff, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, certainly very mysterious and certainly yes. uh, yeah. um, very uh, visiting. As you say, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, the, 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 the pri- you know, the, the first principles you get from visiting a place, you know, the, and the information you get from visiting a place that you just – uh, you wouldn't see it in reality, you know. I'd be, I mean, one of my favorite places is just down the road in London, and um, it, it's been one of my favorite. Uh, it's a it's a garden that is supposedly a Masonic garden, you know. I love it. It's just down the road, and, yeah. Uh, um, and then you can go to uh, another garden in um, Portugal in Sintra that's loaded with this sort of symbolism. It doesn't, you know. It's again, it's 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 syncretic and i wouldn't say it's it's indicative of some great over you know some great masonic sort of um hierarchy but it's just interesting to see how how these symbols are used to create this bigger sort of game really you know this kind of magical game if you like and it's certainly an adventure that's true and then there's a famous saying sometimes a cigar is just a cigar yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um, yeah 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 and sometimes a garden's just a garden uh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah and, and yeah. but yeah but yes there are there are symbols everywhere i mean you know it, but it's it's interesting to uh to and like i said folks i encourage you to pre-order the book and, and take a look for yourself because again you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been and and i encourage you to uh just to kind of see a, a different side of history uh there and there's some beautiful locations here i mean we're talking San, everything from santorini greece to you know algeria in the desert to different areas of europe and and you've really um you've pointed out the 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 history of the occult through different i mean different beautiful areas of of, of the world and and given us an education at the same time here, Andy. So it's 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 really a, a very well put together book. Thanks, That's, we appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, again, we have a link in the description of this program. Andy Sharp is our guest, and he is the author of the book. The book is the Astral Geographic, and it is available in October. Again, is that's when the book will come out. The pre order is available right now on Amazon. We have the link, as I said, in the description. The Astral Geographic: The Watkins Guide to the Occult World is the name of the book. Andy Sharp is our guest and the author. Go get it, or at least go pre order it right now. Andy, thank you so much for being on the program today. Pleasure. Thank you, too. All right. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I want to thank Andy Sharp for being our guest today. I also want to thank Mally Fox for filling in for Bruiser this week. Again, keep your prayers, your thoughts, your good energy coming for Bruiser as he recovers from hip surgery. Again, that, that hip surgery is really, really painful. I don't know if you guys know how painful hip replacement surgery is, but Bruiser is doing well. Just to update you on how Bruiser is doing, he is doing well. He is recuperating. Uh, Bruiser 2.0 is rebuilding as we speak. Uh, We don't know when he'll be back, but he will be back shortly. So uh, I don't have an ETA for when Bruiser will be back with us. But uh, bear with us, folks, because Bruiser will be back shortly. Just, again, send your your thoughts, your prayers, uh, your good energy for Bruiser to continue healing from hip replacement surgery. And uh, if you want to get a hold of him personally, you can check out the link in the description of this program and send your uh, your well wishes by social media. I know a lot of people get a hold of me and ask how he's doing. Uh, you can do it yourself by just going to his social media and sending your well wishes as well. Uh, not that I don't mind sending it along, but you know, you, you can do it yourself. You can have that personal relationship with Bruiser should you wish. Folks, uh, we're coming up on the weekend. I know we just had a holiday weekend, but we're coming up on the weekend. And a little reminder to uh, do a little something nice for your neighbor or for someone who's maybe not able to do something themselves. Maybe they're disabled. Maybe they're maybe they're just not able to do something for themselves. Um, do a little something 
for someone out there in the community who might be a little less fortunate this weekend? I know we took a lot of time for ourselves this weekend for the holiday weekend. We focused on ourselves. Now let's focus on someone a little less fortunate as we have a little extra nice weather this weekend. Uh, get out there and enjoy it, but also get out there and help someone in need this weekend. A little message from your friends here at Darkness Radio. Be sure to take care of yourselves and each other. Get out there and enjoy the weekend a little as well this weekend. Go see a good movie this weekend. Um, I know the movie business is down this week. The last couple of weeks, it seems like movies aren't making as much money this summer. Not like I need to be <laughs> shilling for the movie business, but uh, movie business is down lately. Um, but there are some good movies out there. Uh, Indiana Jones is out there. I enjoyed Indy, so hopefully you'll go out there and and uh, go see a good movie this weekend. Got a good lineup of shows coming up in the next month. The month of July is packed full of good shows. True Crime Tuesday is going to be good this next month. Got some good shows coming up for Darkness Radio as well. I'm looking forward to bringing you some good shows this month. If you have a guest you'd like to hear, send it along. Tim at DarknessRadio.com. By the way, if you have Parashare stories, Tim at DarknessRadio.com. Or if you want to send us a voice note, go to DarknessRadioShow.com. Click on that blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave about a two-minute note. You have two minutes to leave that voice note. If you need more time, then by all means, click on that blue button again. Leave another two minutes. I'll stitch it together. We'll play it on the show. And we will listen to your lovely voice here on the air and then we'll weigh in if you want us to weigh in uh, we always can use your parish air stories here on wednesdays and we love to hear your parish air stories here as part of supernatural news have a great weekend folks we'll see you again next week for more in the best of true crime and supernatural programming right here on darkness radio